Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. First Peter, First Peter chapter number three, and I'm going to begin with verse number one, and I'm going to read down to verse number seven. And the Bible states these words. We're in chapter three already. My goodness, already. Someone's saying it took that a long time. You say that's already. Verse one, likewise ye wives, remember the, the, the train of thought, because we really started a train of thought back in chapter number two of verse 12 that is just continuing. All right? And so that's a great thing about Scripture. See, that's what happens whenever you just cherry-pick a verse out. Where are we going? You, need, you go pick that one out, and there's like a whole ladder of it that's attached to it. You know? So we're really continuing with the same thought pattern going on here. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives again that word conversation there is manner of life conduct what they behold your chaste conversation same thing talk about conduct manner of life coupled with fear verse 3 whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Verse 6, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Verse 7, likewise ye husbands, Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the, unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Amen. And so uh, we need uh, here this evening, our subject matter is going to be basically this, conduct for conversion. Conduct for conversion. Amen will be our subject matter for the next little bit here in the first seven verses of the third chapter. Amen. Amen. You ready to go to the Lord in prayer? Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, I love you, Jesus, this evening, and I'm thankful, Lord, God, that you know us, Lord, and you even know us by name. I pray, oh, Lord, that we can, Lord, receive guidance from your word, Lord, instruction from your word, reproof, rebuke, Lord, encouragement. God, it can serve a multiplicity, Lord Jesus, of things, Lord, for us and to us in our lives. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help us now to be eager to hear, God, what the Spirit may say, God, through your word tonight, God, for our individual lives and the life of the church. God, will not fail, Lord God, to acknowledge it, God, to accept it, Lord, for our own souls. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen, amen. Everyone say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Conduct for 
Conversion, again, it is important for me to rehearse to you the subject matter being dealt with. It stems from the 12th verse of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. This, when we've talked about uh, citizens in the government relationship, when we talked about the slave-master relationship, now we're talking about this husband-wife relationship. It all stems back to this. Verse 12 says of chapter 2, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles or unbelievers, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So what we have been looking at for several, several verses is that Christians can conduct themselves in such a way in the social order and structure of the society in which they live because our structures are a little different compared to what uh, Peter's culture was but we can operate in that in so much that by the way that we behave and conduct our lives we can silence the voices of those that would be accusatory or have accusations and even maybe possible win over our accusers amen to live in a life for God and so that's what we've been talking about and the way that we enter into these citizens and government relationships, slave, master, or as I brought it to modern day terms, employee-employer relationship. Now we're considering the husband and wife relationship within the context of a, of a marriage. And this one perhaps will probably be more capable of being identified with than any, uh, especially since this is probably the closest relationship of them all. You know, the, 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 the citizen's government relationship, it ain't, it, you know, it's not like you have some type of longing and affection, you know, for maybe there's some out there, you know, for a governing body, you know, and so forth, or, or within the slave master or that relationship. But when you talk about a husband-wife relationship, that's probably out of the ones that Peter kind of surveys. It's the closest one of them all. And so as a result of that, it may prove to be the hardest one to maintain the right conduct within so that a person, and we'll look at this here in a little bit, so that a person isn't caving in or at the same time lashing out, you know, in frustration. And so, again, we must remind ourselves something I barely taught, caught or uh, touched on last week. Uh, I mentioned the slave, but in that I also mentioned a wife that if you'll remember a woman or a wife in particular in the Greek-Roman times, there were some things that were expected of her. Number one, that she would serve the God that her husband served. Remember that? And number two, that the friends that she had were basically whoever her husband's friends were. It wasn't like she had her own set of friends. It's just the way that the society was at that time. So here is the uh, dilemma or, or the quandary, if you will. If this wife then becomes a Christian, both of those societal, cultural expectations would probably not be met because as logic goes, if she started serving the Lord then, and her husband has some other God, then she's diverging from what is expected. And whenever she starts serving the Lord, that automatically forces her into another community of people uh, other Christians that are serving the Lord too, uh, really a family within itself that she's probably going to, you know, have friendship with. And so both of those expectations then fall by the way, the expectations of her culture. And so this is what really Peter is coming to, to address, and that is this, because logic is kind of like this. Can, 
can she, can she not meet these two ex- expectations of serving the God of her husband and having his friends? If she doesn't meet those, then how in the world can she still be in subjection to her husband? Mm-hmm. If she can't, if she can't, you know, do those of following his gods or his friends, then how is she going to be under subjection to her husband? Is that even going to be a cap- something capable of her to do, to be under subjection to him and serve the one true God, be under subjection to him and have friends outside of the friends that he has? And so uh, this, this is what we're looking at. Can she be in subjection to him? Just like we are with leaders or people in authority above us, governing bodies, or in the employee-employer relationship, can she be in subjection to within the context of the home, what is, or should be, I should say at least, her leadership? And the answer to that question is that she indeed can be. And the same thing that was expected of a citizen or a slave, you can follow that authority or that figure of leadership that's above you or ahead of you to the point that if they start to betray God or his word, that's where paths diverge. At that moment, that doesn't mean you just do away with everything else they have said. That's important, all right? It's not like you throw away the, the baby with the bathwater, all right? But it's at that particular point of contention that uh, it, it does not align up with God or his word, then so on and so forth. So she is capable of being compliant you know, with her husband, toward her husband, as long as she can be compliant with God. So she can be compliant with him where she can, and she can be compliant with God where she can't be compliant with her husband, all right, if that makes sense. Uh, Slaughter said this, and this is important, I believe, and I'm just going to read it to you. Slaughter rightly says that wives do not submit in order to satisfy a husband's vanity or to promote his reputation. Neither do they submit to show how godly they are nor to avoid conflict, nor to impress the neighbors, nor to manipulate their husbands, and not even because she thinks he is a wise man. She submits because of her relationship with God and her trust in God. In other words, it is her reverence for God that motivates her to be in subjection and submission to her husband. Amen. It kind of follows the the hierarchy that the Apostle Paul set in scripture which isn't man-made but god-made of ephesians 5 and verse 21 and 22 this divine hierarchy that is set in scripture this is not saying someone is better than another individual or one function is better than another function it just puts rank it gives order it gives arrangement amen if you will in, in the body of god he said submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of god wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That is the pattern that has been given. Paul in Ephesians gives the pattern that we submit, a wife submits unto her husbands as she is doing it unto the Lord. We've seen that in the slave master, government, all that relationship. Whatever we do, we do it as unto what? The Lord. Amen. Whatever that we find ourselves in life. And so even wives in the the context of a marriage, they submit or subject themselves unto the husband. And they do that as though they are doing it unto the Lord out of a love and a reverence for Christ. They do that. A wife then works with respect, if you will, and cooperation with her husband. Again, as long as he isn't requesting anything of her outside of the scope of of God's, God's law and God's scriptures, it's okay. 
All right? And for that matter, it's okay whether, whether that husband is saved or unsaved. Huh? To be respectful, submission, and subjection to him, whether he's saved or unsaved. All right? As long as he's not asking or requiring something of her outside of the scope of the word of God. All right? Someone say amen. So there's a divine headship. There's a divine hierarchy that is set. You even read of it in 1 Corinthians 11, the, the, the long, short hair, you know, chapter. It's in that chapter that we also have that, that the Bible says that Christ is the head of man and that man is the head of the woman and that God is the head of Christ. What that is is a divine arrangement, a divine order. That's headship, all right? Amen. It's not putting that... You know, men are more superior and important than ladies. If that's your understanding of it, get the glasses off your face. That is, not, that is not what is being considered there. But God has a certain line, and this, and please understand the way in which I say this. God has a certain line of command and responsibility. All right? A certain line of command and responsibility that we, we should uh, identify with and that we should subject ourselves to as husband and wife and as Christians, amen, unto the Lord. But when we come to 1 Peter chapter number 3, the particular scenario that is here is here is a wife that has become a Christian. She's had an experience with God, but her husband remains an unbeliever. All right? This is not about, listen to me, this is not about a believer and a non-believer getting married and then talking about them. Peter wouldn't talk to us about that because that's not biblical. All right? So that's not what's taking place here. These were two unsaved people that had got married somewhere, and somewhere along the journey after their marriage, the wife got converted to Christianity, and the husband remains unconverted. All right? And so now he is telling the wife how she needs to operate being a Christian with an unsaved husband. This is important stuff to know. Amen. Especially in today's world. How she is to operate with an unsaved husband. Because the Bible plainly speaks of him in verse number 1, that if any obey not the word, this is the, the wives and the husbands he's speaking to, he says, if this is a husband that obeys not the word, the word he's speaking about is the word of God, it's denoting he's an unbeliever. It's denoting he's unsaved. If he does not obey the word of God, but his wife then has, has become a Christian, she is being told by the apostle Peter that she can both honor and respect God and still honor and respect her husband as a wife. Amen. Amen. And that her submission, her submission or subjection to her unsaved husband Right? As a wife, again, it's not talking then about her being inferior or anything like that, but what that's doing is helping distinguish her function in the context of their home and their marriage. She's the wife, he is the husband. Now, let's look at this a little further. In this culture, the Greco Roman time, it was shameful, very shameful, horribly shameful. For a wife to presume that she could instruct her husband. Just their culture. For a wife to give an instruction to a husband was unheard of in that day. It might happen all the time now. But 
in, <laughs> in that day, it was unheard of. And so with that being said, Peter says that the unbelieving husband, he said, he may be one without the word. He's not referring to the word of God now here. He's referring to the word of his wife. He couldn't be one without the word. He might not obey the word of God, but he can be one without the words of his wife. In other words, uh, she don't have to take it upon her shoulders necessarily, particularly in this culture, just to be the nagging wife about how he needs Jesus. All right? Well, amen. So she, he can be one without the words, meaning the words of his wife. And so here's what Peter advised. Peter advised the way that this saved wife or this Christian wife can have the greatest influence on her unsaved husband, her lost husband, is more so by the way she lived her life than what came out her mouth. He says, your greatest foothold in his life is not what you say, but how you live. Because folks, that really goes high society now when you start talking about in the context of marriage, how you behave. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help me tonight here just a little bit, God, and I appreciate it. Because this seems to have been, listen, this seems to have been the reason through all these differing relationships with the government, with the masters. What is it? It wasn't so much what is said for the most part that Peter has been concentrating on. He's been concentrating on people's conduct. He's been concentrating on people's manner of life. He's been concentrating on how people live. Because in reality, let's get real with one another for a moment. It really matters little what we say if our behavior doesn't reiterate what comes out our mouth. Hmm? Right? You can tell me everything you believe, but I'm going to know if you really believe it by the way that you live. Huh? And so that goes within the context of a home here that has an unsaved husband and a saved wife. She'd go home and tell him everything that the pastor ever preached about and said and how godly living is this and that. But if she's living like hell herself, Who cares what the pastor says? It's not had much influence and impact in your life, honey. So we invite him to a church that we're not willing to. We invite him to a word and a God that we're not willing to identify with, mirror the image of. Amen? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Peter's advice, if he was forthright, would simply be this. Keep your mouth shut and live your life. <sighs> Amen. Let your life speak for you. And notice, he goes on concerning, so she's going to be one. This man could possibly be one by the conversation of, of the wives or the conversation of the wife, the manner of life of her. Look at verse 2. While they behold, while the husband would behold, look, observe her chase, it says, chase conversation Coupled with fear, her chaste conversation, her chaste manner of life. If we put it like this, her pure 
manner of life. You know what he said? He said, I tell you something that's for sure going to be high marks in the eyes of this unsaved husband. It's going to be your faithfulness to him and him only. Woo! What's that mean? You're not having no relationships outside of the marriage. And you're not flirting around for one either. Mm -hmm. Amen. So, so that moral aspect of this Christian woman could have an influence upon her husband. It could cause him to have an eye, if you will, toward the legitimacy of the power of God. For number one, remember, they were both unsaved when they started. Who knows what she was like before? If she's different in that area of life than what she was before, that's just going to amplify. Maybe there's something to this God thing. Huh? But if he has the same lady that he had, but she's just got a quote-unquote new label. Amen. And so Peter is underscoring then your chase conversation, the faithfulness that she has toward this, this husband. But not only that, he moves in now. Look at verse number three. Speaking of this saved Christian lady who's adorning, who's adorning. He says, let it not be of the outward, but let it be of the inward man of the heart. Now, in other words, her adornment, and we'll break this down. We'll, we'll, we'll simmer here for a little bit. I really expect to get further than I'm going to get tonight, but things happen, you know. I got all year to try to get it finished. And her adornment, so her adornment then could either promote, promote that faithfulness or that unsaved husband's mind, his eye toward God, or it could jeopardize his mind, eye, and consideration of God. Now, in order to understand what we're about ready to look at in these verses, it's important to know the culture context of that time, all right? Because here is the culture context of that time. And I read, and this is just kind of a slither, amen, to kind of get a grasp of it. Whenever Christianity came into the New Testament world, it came into a world of luxury, a world of luxury, a world of riches. Purple, at that time, whenever Christianity arrived, purple was the favorite color for clothes of that time. No wonder Lydia, the seller of purple and Acts, did so well. I'm just saying, it was, it was the color, it was the fad of the time, purple clothing. And I read that one pound weight of the best Tyranian purple wool, strained twice through, cost 1,000 denarii, which was 43.50 pounds. And that was a good amount of money, amen, in that day. They had importing into the region of the New Testament church at this time. They were constantly importing silks and pearls and scents meaning perfumes and jewelry such as diamonds and emeralds and topazes and opals and sardic stones. All this stuff is coming into uh, the Christian world or the world in which the Christians lived at that time. So it's with all of this grandeur of luxury and posh this and posh that that Peter comes to the forefront talking about the adorning of a lady. The adorning of a lady. And it was not uncommon during the first century church for particularly the upper class Roman citizens to elaborately, whenever he talks about the, the plating of the hair, that they would elaborately braid their hair, oftentimes weaving in literal strands of gold 
into their braids as they would braid it. And they wore some very gaudy and, and, and showy jewelry. They had, the Bible says, he, he told them to be careful concerning this wearing of gold. Wearing of gold meant literally, what this literally means, this wearing, the word means that they placed it around or hanged it around the body almost like ornaments on a tree. Hanging around. He said all this stuff. He said their clothing was just absolutely posh and expensive above that which was necessary for clothing the body. In so much that they stood out. In so much that they stood out. But you must understand what the purpose is right now for this Christian lady concerning her husband. It's not, her purpose should not be to stand out, but to somehow lose her identity to make the God that she's received stand out. She's not in a place right now that she's really wanting to draw, she shouldn't be trying to draw attention to herself. What she's really wanting to do for this unsafe husband is draw his attention to him. Someone say amen. And so when we look at this, I looked at it in three different, three different versions of the Bible. Uh, the New American Standard Version says this. It, 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 it advises, your adornment must not be merely external. The Amplified Bible says, let not yours be merely external adornment. We says, let your adornment be not be, not be that adornment which is from without and merely external. So, the apostle's not saying that we just totally forget about the, the external, but he says that's not what it's all about. And it needs to be about the external in the sense that it's not drawing attention to you, but it's drawing attention to God. Furthermore, everybody just walk with me. I'm getting hot up here. Furthermore, Kick that fan on. I would take my jacket off, but I just thought I'd just say kick the fan on. It might just do just as well. The word adorning, all right? Just, everybody ready to walk? Because I'm in walk mode. The word adorning comes from the Greek word cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S, -O cosmos, which means order, arrangement in harmonious and congruent ways. In other words, it means something that is well arranged. In other words, the wife's, the Christian saved wife's clothing on the outside of the body should have been harmonious and congruent to the expressions of the insides of her heart. Uh-huh. Yeah, the adorning was the cosmos, the order. That whatever she had on the outside of her should testify about what was on the inside of her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there, there is agreement between what was on the inside and what was on the outside. There had to be this agreement. And the Bible says, he says, that thing that is adorning on the inside is that of a, a meek and a quiet 
spirit. He said, that's the hidden man of the heart. And so what he's saying is here, he said, we're, 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 yeah, we want to look at the outside, but not, not just to totally obliterate, you know, and just ignore the external. He said, it's not just merely the external. It's important too. But here's the thing. She should wear something which is fitting with her character as a new believer and convert of the Lord Jesus Christ. To have something that's not in harmony with what she has received is to be out of order. Everyone all right? So the Bible uses this word, this adorning, this cosmos. Cosmos. Cosmos in the Old Testament is to describe, the, listen to this, this almost blew my socks off today, is to describe the original condition of the universe when it was under the perfection of God. What's that mean? Before man messed with it. Furthermore, furthermore, the Greeks now, they've seen this cosmos, you know, the words, every word, every word goes through a transition to change. Every word in our English language. You look up a word today in a modern dictionary and you look at the definition and then if you go back 100 years, you're going to see a different definition because definitions change by the way that society uses the words. We think that there is just a straight cut and dry definition for a word. No, uh, the authors of the dictionaries change the meaning of words as people in society change their meaning and how they use the words. And so whenever it came to the Greeks, whenever they seen this word cosmos, they considered the universe as just being ordered. It's just ordered. It's arranged well. But in the Old Testament, the meaning was a little bit deeper than that. The Old Testament, the cosmos was considered to be the heaven and the earth. But it went beyond order. It was the heaven, get this, it was the heaven and the earth in order as it stood in relationship to its creator. It goes a whole lot further, don't it? Huh? Because we're talking about order and arrangement in relationship to the one who created it. So he's saying that Christian lady should have the adorning, the arrangement, the order, the harmony of the outside with the inside as her relationship of her creator deems it. Is somebody holding on to every word that I'm saying here? So therefore, order or adorning rather, adorning is not simply orderly or arrangement, but it's about being in harmony with our character, amen, as our character is in harmony with God, our creator. So that type of adorning surpasses hair and clothing. That goes beyond gold and bling. That type of adorning that Peter is speaking to really speaks to our relationship with our God. And if that's the case, then that tells me that how we adorn ourselves speaks loudly about our relationship with the one who created us, who further up that cosmos is as it was in its perfect form, day of perfection is when it was in God's hand. Everybody following me here? So, he says, so it's, it's, it, 
It's not merely all these things. It's not merely all these things, but there's that consideration of the hidden man. There's that influence, if you will, that congruence, that harmony of the inner man. Verse 4, of the heart. In that which is, it's not corruptible. That we're speaking of here. He says it's not corruptible. He said it's even, and this is in our Bibles, even the ornament. It's in italics in my Bible, which tells me the translators added that. That's not in the Greek language. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, of a meek and quiet spirit. Now, that is in the Greek, a meek and quiet spirit. When we talk about meek, meek, meekness is gentleness. Meekness is unassuming. Meekness is not being overly impressed by oneself. Amen? Because here again, why is she practicing this? Because she wants to hide in the shadows and cause the attention to be where it needs to be for her unsaved husband. And she is to be quiet of spirit, not boisterous, does not create disturbances. You could read in Timothy where we know the scripture talks about them being quiet in the church. And you under, if you don't, the, the context is they would have church meetings or meetings even within the public forum. And sometimes wives got out of hand trying to ask their husbands questions that just cause a grand disturbance. So he's saying that they should be quiet, quiet in spirit, not boisterous, does not create disturbances. And this meekness and this quietness that she practices within herself, the Bible says is incorruptible. And that's important because other things we learned about incorruption in the first chapter of of 1 Peter is this. We learned also concerning gold. If you want to talk about the adorning and the wearing of gold, this outside and plating the hair with gold. We learned that in the first chapter that gold perishes. It's corruptible. It perishes. We, even in verse 16 of, or 18 rather of 1 Peter 1, it says that it is gold and silver were corruptible things. He says, but when he's talking about this meek and quiet spirit of the woman, it's something that is incorruptible. Not only that, he goes on to tell us that these attributes of this saved lady that's, that's trying to live and conduct her manner of life in such a way it'll have influence on her unsaved husband. But the Bible says these attributes of this lady, which in the sight of God, the last phrase of verse 4, which is in the sight of God, of great price. In other words, those attributes were very valuable. They were very expensive. They were very costly. Remember now the context in which all this is set. People having pearls imported and they're getting purple garments that cost so much to be made and and they're having this and that. They're adorning themselves. He says, all of that, you think that's expensive? You think that's elaborate? You think that's costly? He said, give me one woman with a meek and a quiet spirit and that's more valuable and costly and expensive than all that put together. Amen. More than all that put together. And so he goes on now. He goes on. Look at verses number five and six. And he tells, he tells her that after this manner, there were people of the old time holy women who put their trust in God and adorned themselves the way that he is speaking of. And they were also in subjection to their husbands. So Peter was telling them, he says, if you, if you practice this, if you follow this as a Christian woman, as a converted wife, if you practice this type of adornment, this type of arrangement, this type of harmony of character inside and outside with your creator, if you practice that, you are going to be like, your, your life is going to mirror the lives of the holy women of old. Everybody say holy. 
The holy women of old. The word holy what? Means sanctified. The set apart women of old. He said, if you adorn yourself, if you, and look at this. God. Oh, it's so archaic. He says, if you do it like they did it. He says, you're going to be as they were. You'll be accounted holy. Sanctified, distinguished, set apart, just like those women of old that were considered holy and trusted God and at the same time were in submission and subjection to their own husbands. Folks, there is nothing new under the sun. It's just knowing where the nail head is and allowing your hammer to make contact with it. They trusted in God. They were subjecting to God. And she, he even pulls one particular example out. He said, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be likened to Sarah. Amen. You'll be likened to Sarah. Amen. Sarah, who, who even called Abraham her own husband, Lord. Now, before every man starts going home tonight, ringling the bell and say, I want you to call me Lord when you come into the room. <laughs> Your grace, forget it. You missed the ship. Lord, for Old Testament times, was nothing more equivalent to like Mr. of our present generation. All it is was a measure of respect. Just a measure of respect. But she, he's saying if you assume her actions, you'll be accounted, look what he said, you'll be accounted even as a daughter of Sarah. You'll be accounted as a daughter of one of those holy women from Ode. He says if you practice this. Someone say amen. Verse number seven. We'll spend a little time here. Didn't realize that much time had already went by. Likewise, verse 7, likewise, ye husbands. Now, we just finished the viewpoint of a saved lady, how she is to operate with an unsaved man. We'll get to it. It's as though we're transitioning down to a viewpoint of a saved man. Man that has a unsaved wife. How is he supposed to conduct himself? What's his conversation supposed to be like if he's wanting to have any influence on her to direct her attention toward the Lord? Now listen, it, 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 it particularly says... In verse number 7, later, giving honor unto the wife. But listen, uh, the way that it's all construed here is that she can be believing, unbelieving. She can be a wife or she can just be a female in general. Nevertheless, the advice that is given is good for whatever the classification may be. Though I lean toward the fact since we just came out of where we were of an unbelieving, unbelieving husband and a believing wife that we have transitioned. He's saying now likewise that we have an unbelieving husband or an unbelieving wife and a believing husband now. And so here we are. They're, they're, both, they're both connected by this likewise word, this likewise word. Again, not because, not because the roles or the responsibilities of each are identical, like the wife, likewise, the husband. That, that it's not saying that they are identical, but what it is telling us that whenever it comes to the Lord, whenever it comes to the kingdom of God, both of them, whether it be the saved husband or a saved wife, they both should serve the Lord by trying to serve their mate. All right? And so here's the simple advice. This is not a long verse, but it'll take me a little bit to get through it. Prefacing. 
Here's the simple advice. Here's how he is to conduct himself. It's very simple. It goes a lot more than just surface. Dwell with her and honor her. Got this one, baby. Dwell with her and honor her. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 12. We could also look at verse 13 if we needed to. This was whenever Paul was writing. Dwell with her and honor her. Let me say this and before I go straight here. Because here sometimes is a concept. Here sometimes is a concept. If we were both unsaved and somewhere along the way, one of the other, husband or wife, got saved, how in the world am I going to live like, life like this? I should probably just have a divorce and get on with my salvation. But the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 7, 12, but to the rest I speak, Paul says, I am not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. What does that mean? You're both unsaved. The husband gets saved. The wife's unsaved. She don't want anything to do with church. If she still likes you, likes to dwell with you, like to be your wife, don't you dare try to divorce her. Verse number 13 tells us the vice versa of that. That if, yeah, there you go. The one which hath a husband, believeth not. If it pleaseth, and if he pleaseth to be with her, let her not leave him. It's amazing that forever, really, in God's standard of marriage, meant forever, whether you were saved or lost. When it concerns the context of marriage. Now, there's bills of divorcement. The Bible, the Bible says it. We'll look at it here in just a little bit. But what both Peter and Paul is admonishing here, they're admonishing that the converted, the saved husband, not to divorce his unbelieving wife. Or, if it were the other way around, husband. Because Peter's advice here. Peter's advice here, listen, what's your purpose with your manner of life? With them, before them. You want to see them saved. You want to see them one to the Lord. You're going to be barking up a tall tree, seeing them one to the Lord, if you're wanting to write them off. Hmm? Oh, I had a feeling there would be a day like this. Amen. Because what, what are we trying to do? We go all the way back to verse 12 and some of those other verses in the last chapter. We're trying to silence the voices of the ignorant. Huh? Trying to silence the voices of the ignorant. Trying to silence the ignorance, rather, of the foolish, of those that are without any idea of what being a Christian is all about. Huh? Why? You have, a saved, you have a saved lady and an unsaved husband, and that happens after they've been married, and then the saved lady says, you know what, to this curb their unsaved husband, oh, they're going to start just impressing the feelings what they had about Christians. See, they think they're better than everybody else. Hmm? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. By our manner and conduct of life, we're trying to silence the ignorance of those that are Foolish. And so Peter says to, to, to the husband, the saved husband, he says, dwell with her, dwell with her according to knowledge. Here's one thing that you must know concerning knowledge. You must know that this covenant that you entered into as two unsaved people was meant to fulfill a lifetime. <laughs> dwell with her with that in mind. 
Do well with her with that knowledge. Again, Jesus was standing. Some people come talk to him about, you know, divorce and things of that nature. And that's when he told them. He said, Moses, I shared it today. He said, Moses, because of the hardness of their heart, gave them a, gave unto them a bill of divorcement. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but from the beginning, from the beginning, it was not so. He said, Moses made, made an exception. He said, but me from the beginning, that's not the way that I ordered it. Meaning that my desire and the greatest of my heart intent is for it to remain for all eternity. Amen. Someone say amen. So he says, Peter says, dwell with her. So you're going to dwell with her according to knowledge. We'll look at that a little bit more here a bit. Dwell with her according to knowledge and honor her. And based upon, based upon two things. This is why you need to dwell with her according to knowledge and honor her. Based upon these two additional things. Number one. She is the weaker vessel. Number two, this is kind of peculiar. He says, because as being heirs together of the grace of life. As being heirs together of the grace of life. So first off, we need to honor her. We need to honor her. All right? As, as the saved husband, need to honor her. That means that you respect her. That particularly means that you respect. It's a respect that springs up from something's value. It's a respect that is given as a result of the value of what you are respecting. Let me ask you a question, very simply. How do you treat something highly valuable to you? How do you treat something highly valuable? It's real, real valuable. You might have a safe at the house, and it's under lock and key with a combination. It might be in a safe deposit box at the bank. Hmm? Something you highly value, you protect. He says, he says, honor her, protect her. What does the Bible say? Even concerning the, the Proverbs 31 woman, the Bible says, who can find a virtuous woman for her price, bishop, is far above rubies. Far above rubies. So everyone's saying, well, that's true, Brother McGee. A virtuous woman's price is far above rubies, but we're talking about the unsaved wife. We're talking about the, the sinner wife. <laughs> Again, he's talking to this saved husband that has this type of wife, and he's still telling her to well with her according to knowledge and honor her because she's the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Let's consider. She is the weaker vessel. Now, this does not mean that she's less intelligent than a man. No, not at all. This does not mean that she, uh, you know, her emotional sphere is, is inferior to a man. By no means. Matter of fact, if you were to look at a lady, she has the two hemispheres of her brains. But they say the path uh, of connections between her two hemispheres is like a superhighway, and between that, two spheres of a man is more like a pathway. I'm just being honest with you. This is science. That's how she is so good about being able to put her words together and talk and express and so forth. She's got a superhighway between both spheres, and we got just a, <laughs> a little spot where someone's walked, you know. <laughs> I'm helping some lady here right now tonight. You should be backing me real good right now. Amen. 
But she is weaker in the context of the scriptures. She is a weaker vessel in the sake of physically weak. And science proves again that men and women, by and large, by, by design, that the structure, the structure of the bodies, that a man's body was made and created and built in such a way that it could physically handle something more intensive. And so with that in consideration, Brother Malone, we must live with, dwell with them with that in consideration. Let me say it like this. Um, with that in consideration, we must be conscious of her frame. I'll go to say this, and this is just to mark anything that's in anybody's minds. Peter told the wives, right, to submit to their husbands or be subjection to their husbands. Right after he talked about Jesus being a model and suffering, not reviling when he reviled, not, not, not threatening whenever he suffered, all these type of things that even spoke about his stripes and so on and so forth. I want to clear something from everybody's minds. That in no way means or endorses that a wife should have to endure physical abuse. within the context of her marriage. That's not submission. No, 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 no. Remember Ephesians 5, whenever the Lord makes the example of a husband and wife like between Christ and his church. And remember Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself for it. If you have a husband that's beating on you, he is far cry from acting like Christ. Because Christ didn't beat his church. He took a beating for the church. And so whenever we come to this point that Peter points out that she's the weaker vessel, you know, no doubt more physically weak, then we got to take that in consideration as a man, amen, on any level where she's saved, unsaved, or whatever. There needs to be no abuse. Domestic violence shouldn't have to be the call to your household. Amen. But another perspective though maybe uh, just as important is she's the weaker vessel the word translated vessel means this it means any instrument object or thing used for any purpose so this unsaved woman she is a vessel she is an instrument that can be used for any purpose she may be used for any purpose but you're wanting her to be used as a vessel of honor unto the lord as a matter of fact, this same word that is translated vessel in 1 Peter 3 is also translated as a vessel that is used or referred to as being used in temple service. He says, so listen, think about it like this. He says, so that unsaved woman that you have, she's a weaker vessel. Exact same word of vessels that's used in temple service. You know what he's saying? He's saying you need to treat her and manage her. I know she's a sinner now, but you need to look at her of what she can be. The potential that she has for any purpose, but she could be used for the purpose of the Lord. And you need to be careful on how you're treating God's vessels. Huh? She, that might not be her stand today, but maybe through your pattern of life and manner of life, you may sway her over. And so, you got to take that into consideration. Amen. Amen. So, so when we think of this, when we look at then heirs, verse 6, or 7 rather, as being heirs together of the grace of life. So we're going to dwell with her and honor her because as being heirs, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Number one, this is one thing I want to state concerning that. Both men and women, 
regardless of gender, are on the same level in terms of spiritual privilege. All right? What that means is it's not like the husband or the man has one up on the lady or vice versa whenever it comes to spiritual things. All right? Amen. And so the husband should dwell with her according to knowledge. This is important. And it's basically what I've already said concerning the vessel, knowing that she has the potential. She has, even at that, the invitation to become an heir of grace, to become an inheritor of a life that can only be given to her by God. And so you need to treat her as that. Let me put it together for you. We read in what? Acts uh, 8, 9 region that Ananias is spoken to by God to go to Saul, who is a persecutor of the Christians. He's done all these horrible things, and he's to go. He's to lay his hands on him, right? And you remember what Ananias says? This is Saul, horrid man, man that just has a lot to wrong. But Ananias goes to him, and he says, my brother Saul. Notice his words, my brother Saul. Jesus has told me to come. And your eyes are going to be open. You're going to receive the Spirit and all this stuff. He called him brother before he was ever brother. Brother, brother Saul, what? He was treating him as he would be rather than as he was. And so what he's telling this, this saved man with the unsaved life, wife, he says, here's the way I want you to treat her. Treat her as although she's already part of the family of God. Treat her as although she's already been blood-bought and mercy-sought because she has. It's just repentance that's just kept her from receiving what's already been extended. Oh, hallelujah. That's already been extended to her. Amen. So, I'm closing. Stand with me and we'll wrap it up. I, I see the red back there, guys. So Peter's writing to a culture when he is urging the people two things. Number one, he is urging them that they can live as Christians within the structure of their social order. So happens the structure of their social order at that time still had slavery. He was letting slaves know this is the structure of your time. He's not saying I necessarily agree with slavery. He's just saying this is the structure of our time. But you can live as a Christian even if you are in the position of being a slave. So he's urging the people to live as Christians, honoring their social order. And the bottom line is this. For us tonight, you know, conduct for conversion. You know, the husband and the wife in these instances, the way that they conducted their lives, hopefully would have some type of sway over the conversion of their spouse. This is the fact. The bottom line is that Christian behavior Christian behavior, more than what we say, identifies the character of a Christian. Mm -hmm. Does that mean you don't evangelize? No, go on, share the word, share the gospel. But just making sure your life is matching what you're propagating with your mouth. Amen. And so Peter gives these principles. He gives these, there's principles in these words. There's principles here that they can work out the details within the context of their family or in the context of the employer-employee relationship. But there's some overall principles that he gives here. And he warns the man. I'll end with this, the last phrase of verse number 7. He warns the man. He says, hey, buddy, he said, your spiritual life, your spiritual life can be hindered or blocked by how you treat your wife. He says, if you do all things, he says, you want, you want to give honor to her, dwell with her according to knowledge, weaker vessels, so, so forth. He said, that your prayers be not hindered or that your prayers be not blocked. 
He's really alluding to something that we'll get into next week. Verse number 12. I don't know if you can throw that one up there. Verse number 12, 1 Peter 3, 12. But this is what the Bible says. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are opened unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So he's really tying in with verse 12 here. He says, man, you man, your prayers can be hindered whenever you're not acting in a righteous way, a comely way, a good way toward that unsaved wife. He said, because if you are walking in tandem with God, he said, the Lord, his eyes will be over the righteous and his ears will be open to their prayers. I'll tell you right now, if you're having a problem getting a prayer through, you might need to treat your wife better. <laughs> I'm serious. Amen. It can hinder spiritual things because really marriage is more than just a physical thing. Marriage is a very spiritual thing. Now, I don't know if this helped anybody. But if you know somebody that has a lost spouse, you might need to clue them in. Amen. Because this is not stuff that we talk about every day on Wednesdays or preach on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights. But it's important to know. Let me tell you, you want to know someone who, who in my opinion, this is virtually, absolutely my opinion, someone that practiced this very well, Nadine Dion came to this church for years and years husband unsaved husband not knowing truth and by and large you know what she did she didn't nag around the house all the time about come on come on come on or any of that stuff you know what she did she lived her life she showed up Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesday night was involved in the activities she led a godly life meekness gentle meekness and quiet spirit totally different than when she was unsaved totally different the adornment had agreement with what was on the inside now amen god love her i miss her sometimes hallelujah let's go to the lord in prayer right now father i come to you today god let our conduct lord influence lord conversion lord thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.